Hey friends, I'm Stuart Sutherland, co-founder of Heritage Missional Community. We are a growing network of microchurches centered around a coffee house and coffee roasting business in Shasta Lake, California. If you've ever thought there has to be more to this journey of following Jesus, then this is the right place for you. Thanks for joining me in a casual conversation about reclaiming authentic discipleship. Fill up your coffee cup, settle in, and here we go. Hey, and welcome back to season one, episode two. We're sharing our story, our origin story at Heritage, and we're excited to share this in the hope that it brings value, that it encourages you, because we are what we call a new expression of church. We're a bunch of kingdom radicals looking for ways to not just be another church that invites people indoors, but to see a multiplying network of what we call micro churches grow that we that we kind of reclaim know that we absolutely reclaim authentic discipleship that we want to see everyone activated for the work of the ministry we see that in God's great plan for redemption you and I have a role we have a purpose and so we're excited to share our story and here's where I left off in episode one. I kind of left you on a little bit of a cliffhanger, and that was I met this cute girl. I'm sharing my story, and I, my, my youth pastor looked at this picture in my wallet and said, what does she want with you? And I said, someday I'm going to marry that girl. And so the, the story takes off from here, but first I wanted to share, before we get into that, just a little bit more about who we are and what we do and give you some context of why we're sharing our story. And we are, we as in heritage, are uh, really here in the city of Shasta Lake as this coffee house where we see coffee as a centerpiece for a relationship, for uh, opportunities to have just a, an amazing conversation with somebody. It could be simple, it can go deep, but we see that simple church is really the best way to do church. It's not about program. It's not about finding ways to bring people indoors uh, to a common space where they can hear a good teaching from one person. What we really see value in and what we really believe is the most powerful way to see God's kingdom advance is by doing church simply, the simple gospel that Jesus came as an opportunity. He came as the only opportunity, the only way for every person to have a relationship with our creator God. And that act of love and the simple truth that it just requires us to be followers of Jesus, to give our lives over to the Savior, Jesus, is really the main thing. It's the main point. And how do we get, how do we invite people there? How do we, how do we put ourselves in proximity to people who don't yet know Jesus? How do we get outside of, if you are like me, inside a Christian bubble, how do we break out of that bubble and get into the places where the marginalized, the lost are? How do we do that? And we don't do that by just gathering in a big building on a Sunday. We don't, uh, we don't need a place of worship like that. We don't need the temple anymore. In fact, when Jesus came, it was to eliminate the temple. If you remember in the Bible, Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, the curtain that separated everyone from the Holy of Holies 
was torn in two as a symbol, as us having opportunity um, to, to stand before our heavenly Father without blame when we are we're crucified with Christ, when we are, are made clean through his sacrifice, his redemption, his atonement, his propitiation, all these big fancy words, but they all mean one thing and that, that Jesus made a way for you and me and everyone to have full access to the Father without us going to a holy place, without us going to a temple. And as a church, he calls us to go out into the world, not bring the world in, but to go out into the world and share that good news. And so how do we do that? Well, at Heritage, we, we like I said before, we're all about simple church. We have a network of micro churches. Each one is unique. And we use DBS, Discovery Bible Study, as one of the main ways that we engage people. And if you become a, a subscriber, a listener, I'm going to unpack way more detail on DBS, on Simple Church. Um, how, do we, how do we do this simple thing as leaders? And it's this. It's, I can't emphasize simple. As a leader, it's not about getting people to follow me. As a leader, it's not about gathering people into a space and hearing a great teaching. Those are, those are okay. But as a leader, it's actually most important for me to invite people to encounter Jesus, the person of Jesus, not just the knowledge of who Jesus is, not just good scripture, not just good theology, but to invite people into encountering Jesus so that they can understand two very important things, so that you and I can understand two very important things. It's our identity. Who am I? Who am I in Christ? If I, if I understand who the Lord is, I understand that I belong to the Lord, then I understand more about me. So identity, you know, encountering Jesus, encountering the Lord so that we can understand our identity. And secondly, to encounter Jesus so that we can know what our calling is. So much of what we do is pursue knowledge. In fact, when we think about the church right now in this time in history, we are the most overeducated group of Christians in all history. We have more resources available to us than anyone at any time before us. And yet we see that it takes even more programs, even more money, even more resources just to get one person to cross the line of faith, for one person to decide, I want to be a follower of Jesus. That's not what we were supposed to do. We're not supposed to be overly educated. In fact, the disciples were these uneducated fishermen. The disciples were tax collectors. They were they were. They were the low people, the lowly people. They didn't have all of the resources, but they had an encounter with Jesus. And in that encounter, they knew who they were and they knew what they were called to. And that's really simply, friends, what we're about at Heritage is how do we get back to that simple foundation that is not easy? I keep saying simple, but I promise you, if it's anything, it's not easy. And I'm sharing my story because I, the last thing I wanted to be was a missionary. The last thing I wanted to do was do something outside the box. The last thing I wanted to do was live a life of risk for God's kingdom. But here I am. And so in, Siri, in episode one, I was sharing a little bit about my story. And that story continues with me meeting this girl. Her name was Sarah. I'm going to fast forward now. So it's three years 
since we met at church camp. Remember sailing camp? Can't quite remember how that was really a camp, but it was. We met at sailing camp. It was beautiful. Sarah broke up with me, played the bagpipes. Definitely wasn't cool. And so three years later, Sarah and I had kept in communication. We kept writing letters to each other. Again, I think AOL was new and starting. But, uh, and if you don't know what that is, you know, ask your mom and dad or relative or friend or somebody. (laughs) But as we stayed in contact, it was more as a friendship. And I had this um, kind of thing I used to do. I used to play roller hockey. You know, in California, we don't have ice. Um, not a lot of ice anyway. And so we would play hockey in parking lots. We'd play uh, hockey in indoor rinks that were just uh, these kind of tiles or hard surface, concrete surface. And it was on rollerblades, and it was a lot of fun. You still wear all the pads. And uh, I would just play um, entire summers. I'd just play over and over again, lots and lots of hockey. And um, my older brother was way into hockey and was part of a team, competitive team, and said, hey, we're going to play this tournament up in this place called Redding, California. Do you want to go? Do you want to be part of the tournament? And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll check it out, you know, Redding. And then I had this epiphany. It was like the heavens parted, you know, oh, and it was like Redding is near Weaverville. Yeah, you might be remembering from last episode, I now know where Weaverville is, and I know that Weaverville is really close to Reading, and that was really, <laughs> really exciting. And so I, I contacted that person I know in Weaverville, Sarah. I said, hey, I'm about to come up to play a hockey tournament in Reading, and after the tournament, I'd really love to connect with you again. Um, at this point, I was 16. I had my first car. Um, I don't know if it was really worthy to make the drive, but I was doing it anyway. And when Sarah was on the phone, I could tell there's a little hesitation in her voice. She's kind of like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I can make that work. Sounds good. And so it was set. We played this tournament and I have to share this tournament was brutal. If you are familiar with Redding, California, it's one of the sunniest places in the nation. And for good reason, um, It just is this high desert. It's hot. It was 115 degrees that day during the tournament. We were playing, I think it was three different games. And um, it was stifling. The metal building had these industrial fans just kind of blowing the hot air from outside in just to kind of keep the humidity down. I mean, I remember putting hip waders on and pads, and it's just like slimy, wet nastiness. And I thought to myself in that moment, who in their right mind would live in Redding, California? I have no idea, but I sure as heck was not going to live in Redding, California. Didn't matter because I was going to Weaverville to meet this girl. And so after the tournament, it was getting dark, it was getting late, and I'm making this long drive over Highway 299, which was a windy mountain road. I felt like I was driving past trees, more trees than... Where a mat, you know, just growing up in the city, it was like, wow, there's a significant amount of trees I'm passing and a lot of rocks. And it was so dark. I drove by a lake and I didn't even know it. But um, it was it was like I was going into the middle of nowhere. And then when I got to this town of Weaverville, 3,000 people, I did not yet arrive. I had to continue the journey 
over to over this mountain called Oregon Mountain. That was the directions were, you know, look for the straight stretch, look for this sign, take a left at this sign. I mean, it was like there are no street names. There are no, I mean, it was dark, so I couldn't really see anything. Um, it was, you know, one step away from, you know, turn left at the dead squirrel. It was that remote. And I remember turning into this dirt road, praying to Jesus, may this be the place, because I think if I'm in the wrong place, I'll probably just get shot. But I drove down the road, and sure enough, Sarah came out to meet me with her older brother, and he was making sure there was, you know, I was okay, that was a cool guy. And I step out of the car, and it was one of those amazing, we call in the Greek, kairos moments, like a snapshot in time, a beautiful, like, I remember her, and she remembered me, and we remembered the experiences we had in that one week in San Francisco, and it was like no time had passed, and we still liked each other. It was almost that instant, and it was, it was awesome. And so we hung out. We actually um, didn't really plan anything and hung out the whole night just talking, catching up, and the next day um, met Sarah's parents. Uh, that's a story in and of itself, I'll say, for maybe another time. Um, her parents were super cool, super welcoming, amazing people. And it was that day that I convinced uh, Sarah, we, she was leading a Sunday school. So we went and did Sunday school together. And then the, her family was going to go um, down to play at the lake. They had a, a boat and do some water skiing. So I thought, oh, I've never really done water skiing. That sounds fun. So went out there and had fun on the lake, but then invited Sarah to meet my parents. Yeah, literally the next day, meet my parents. So um, her folks were like, sure, yeah, go to Sacramento with Stu, no big deal. Now, as a father, I pause on that decision now. But you know what? I love Sarah's folks, super trusting, super loving, and they let their daughter go to Sacramento with this guy they just met. And so that's really how things started. Um, We... We really <laughs> just, we were still, we still liked each other. And, and, and really for me, it was those, those feelings of love were still very much real. They were, they were very much there. And so now I'm kind of going to take the story into a little bit of a fast forward for you because it's really kind of how we experienced it. Three months after we, we met back up, um, Sarah got pregnant. Now, some of you are going, big surprise, right? You know, Stu and Sarah moving at this pace, mom and and dad maybe not checking out this strange guy that has these strange motives. And this was definitely a moment in 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 a time for me of going, what the heck? I know better. I knew that I was gonna do a better job. I knew I was gonna do things right in the right order. But somehow... We just did everything backwards. And it was from this point that things just went backwards and weird and sideways. And it wasn't like out of control, but it was like hard to remember sometimes because things felt like they were happening so fast. Now, when we found out that Sarah was pregnant, I was still, I just finished my junior year of high school and I was getting ready to go into my senior year of high school. Sarah was a a year older than me and she had just graduated from high school. And 
to make things even more difficult, um, a little while later discovered that Sarah's mom was diagnosed with, with cancer. And so Sarah's mom is sick. Sarah left, she moved out of the house to uh, a local junior college, which had dorms and she was staying in the dorms there. And, um, I was in Sacramento. So we were separated by about two and a half hours of driving and things were just a hot mess. I mean, I remember a gathering of the parents and what are we going to do with these guys? They made these decisions and how are we going to support each other's families? You know, we had one of those kind of, um, big convenings of, 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 of families with lots of broken hearts and lots of, um, confusion. And that whole time just felt really, um, kind of thick and slow and difficult. But one thing remains super clear, and it was, I love this girl. I love Sarah. I always wanted to have a family. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to go through with this. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to move ahead, that we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. And the blessing in all of that was this. Sarah felt the same way. And I think so much at this point could have gone wrong. So many things could have fallen apart. But the truth was, because we were both all in, the Lord really worked in that. The Lord really did some things. So here's a really interesting year for us. In 1999, in the month of May, our daughter Natalie was born. In the month of June, I graduated my senior year of high school with a very low GPA. I think my mind may have been on other things. And in July, I was in a full-time job. And in August, we were married. Now, think about the order of operations in this. If you, you know, if you visit any kind of guidance counselor things, they kind of talk about the order of operations and what you're supposed to do in life. Even, you know, you and I may have been raised to, uh, to maybe have some level of, you know, hey, it would be a really good idea if you waited to have kids before you got married, or it'd be really great to wait to have kids before you graduate high school, or maybe it'd be really great if you waited to have kids before you even, you know, went in or finished college. I mean, there's so many things that we could have done before we did what we did, but we were also dealing with a consequence of a bad decision. And again, we were all in. And so 1999 came and it was like in the flash of, you know, a, a, a lightning bolt, life started for us. We went from being kids who were in crisis to adults that were still in crisis, that were still trying to figure out who are we? What the heck are we doing? How are we going to make this thing work? We had no idea. And so we just kept going to school. We kept going to college. We lived with my folks in Sacramento for a while. And it was awesome until you realize that I'm raising a daughter. I'm working full time. I'm married. And, you know, I'm still having the same kind of relational dynamic with mom and dad. Like, when are you going to get the chores done? Is still being asked of me. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought things were supposed to be different at this point. And so it just created some really weird expectations on my end and on our, in our, our parents' end. And it just was like, I don't, 
I don't know how to navigate this. And if any of you have lived with a mom and dad in your married years, you know, blessings on you. I know it's hard. Um, and it's nobody's fault. It's just, it's weird. And so we decided, you know what? We should probably change the venue. And at this point, it probably be a good idea. Maybe we can move in with Sarah's parents. We can move up to Weaverville. Maybe I can get um, a little bit better job. I don't know. I don't know what we were thinking and why that was a better idea, but we thought it was a better idea at that point, so we did it. So we moved from Sacramento to Weaverville, and we ended up moving in with Sarah's folks. And that went equally awkward. And the job situation was more difficult. Um, I went from a really decent-paying job, which was highly stressful with tons of traffic and commuting and benefits, to a job in a small town with... um, some pretty unhappy people working at the local auto parts store. And I was making deliveries, so it put me in a car. I was driving all over the countryside. That was fun. But at the end of the day, I just, it wasn't enough. I needed to get out of there. I needed to, you know, I needed to grow. And we were commuting from Weaverville to Reading for college. And it just was, it was really just too much. And so I had this moment of crisis while I was working at the auto parts store where I'm like, I have to get out of here. I can't be here anymore. It just was welling up and I was about to explode. And so I had to do something. So I started interviewing for jobs and in that process got lined up with a job in this local architecture firm. And my job in Sacramento had given me the work experience that really lined up with what they were looking for to work in their print room. And so I interviewed at this architecture firm in Reading, and within a few hours, they, they gave me the job. And that was really exciting for us because this meant an income that was a little bit better. This meant that we were going to be closer to where we were going to school, and it meant the most important thing. We were able to afford our first apartment. We had our own place finally. It had been a little over a year of marriage, maybe a year and a half of marriage, living with mom and dad on both sides. And we finally had our own place. We finally had our one little couch and our hand-me-down console TV. We had, our, we had a bed and we had a crib and lots of uh, hopes and dreams but that's about all we filled our apartment with. Our weekends were filled with cleaning our apartment. We didn't really have a a community. We really didn't have friends. And what we also realized is we didn't have a church family. And that was still super important for us. And so we just started looking. And so begins our time in Redding, California. We started with working at this local architecture firm, and we just decided we need a home. We need a church home. We need to connect with people. We need support. We need, we need more. And so we, we started looking, and man, what a journey. What an interesting challenge it was to find a church. So the one story that I'll share that has to do with us trying to find a church was this. It was the strangest experience we ever had and probably still tops them all today. And it was walking into this little church in downtown Reading. We were this young family of three, hungry for community. And we walked in the doors, and I think just our presence probably doubled the number of congregants. And they all looked at us and they gasped. (gasps) You know, like we surprised them for showing up 
in their their church service. It was it was just the beginning of their of the sermon, and it was really quiet and dark and a little bit mysterious. <laughs> and there was kind of a part of me was like, I don't know that I want to go here, but I think we'll at least check it out. We'll try it out. Why not? We like the small group thing. You know, it might be a little more intimate, might be nice. And so we took Natalie into the Sunday school room where there are only probably two kids there. And we, we went back into the sanctuary and we sat down and the pastor wasn't even there. It was one of the elders and the elder was giving this sermon. And it was, as he was delivering this sermon on an overhead projector, by the way. So if you remember the old transparency, the, the clear plastic that they would write on with a with a dry erase marker and it would project it onto the screen. And he was, he was explaining to the congregation why they had failed and why the church was so small. And also that is the reason the pastor wasn't there. He needed a vacation to rest from all of this disappointment in his congregation. <laughs> and oh man, we couldn't get out of there fast enough. It was awkward. It was weird. And it just felt like this is, a, this is an unhealthy church. We're not looking for this. And so how did we find our church? How did that actually happen? And I'm glad you're wondering that because it's all about bagpipes, remember? So the band that I played with in Sacramento was actually doing a bagpipe workshop with a local bagpipe band, pipe, we call them pipe bands, up here in Reading. And so my old, my, my instructor, she calls me up and says, Hey, we're going to do this little seminar with the local band. Would you like to join in and maybe help out? And I said, sure, that sounds good. And so I went there and we did really great. Um, it was just a fun time. met a lot of different, uh, or, you know, new people. And it was kind of like an opportunity for us to connect with some community um, and one of the guys that I connected with was a, a, a piper, a bagpipe player. His name was Caleb. And Caleb was somebody that I recognized. You see, when we were living in Weaverville, we had come down on certain nights to a church in Reading that was doing these nights called Celebration. And it was just a time of worship. It was awesome. It was a big stage with lots of... Um, you know, full accompaniment, accompaniment with drums and bass and guitar and um, even, uh, you know, organ and some cool stuff. And in that time, I saw a guy play bagpipes and I met him and his name was Caleb. Well, as it turns out, it's the same guy, Caleb, who was at this workshop. And so I saw Caleb went to church and I saw Caleb here again at this workshop and all of a sudden I started thinking, oh man, we're looking for a church. I know somebody now, you know, we play bagpipes in common, so he must have really good taste. He must be a really cool guy. So I'm going to ask him, where do you go to church? And so I did. I asked him, I'm like, hey, where do you go to church? And he goes, oh, we go to this smaller family church. It's down the road. It's not too far. And, and Sarah and I at this point had been just travel weary of looking for a home church. We just... Everywhere we looked, nothing was really a fit. We thought we had something. It just still was, it was too big. You know, it's kind of like Goldilocks. You know, it, this one's too big. This one's too small. And we were looking for the just right place. And so we ended up going to the, the church that Caleb went to. And I, I kind of leaned over to Sarah as we were walking into 
the uh, the building, and I said, you know what? I'll know this is the one if somebody at least asks us to to lunch or you know to 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 follow up to to actually want to hang out with us because it felt like everywhere else we went there was no personal encounter with people. There was uh, you know maybe a good teaching, maybe a really great worship service, but there was never that like oh, you see me, you notice me. I mean, with the exception of the very scary place, we didn't have that great kind of warm personal encounter. And so we went to church um, at, the end of the, at the end of the service. We met the pastor and Caleb's folks, Heidi and Willie said, hey, we want to have you over for dinner, but we're busy. So we're going to schedule it in, you know? So Heidi pulls out her giant planner and that's when we knew that this was our home church. And so we started attending this church regularly. I got on the worship team. We ended up leading some small groups. And this is where Sarah and I grew in our faith a ton. We, we, we started to understand the two very important things, our identity and our calling. And this all happened most dramatically when our, we were um, having our fifth wedding anniversary. And there was a, a, an opportunity, there was a group of people in our church that was going to do a short-term missions trip to Paraguay. And Sarah and I hadn't talked about it, but I really felt like, man, the Lord's putting that on my heart. And Sarah, without talking to me, was thinking the same thing. The Lord's really putting this trip on her heart. And then when we talked to each other and we finally kind of confessed, you know, I think I want to go, even though this goes against everything I think I should do. I don't want to be a missionary, but I think we should go on this short-term missions trip. And Sarah's like, yeah, me too. And she had the same fears, the same reservations, the same prayer at night when she was a kid that I had. And so we thought, okay, then the Lord must be in this. It's time, time for us to step out in faith. That trip to Paraguay was so amazing. We played ping pong. We acted out a skit that shared the gospel. If we're still doing skits, I don't know, you guys. I guess they work, but don't you always feel a little weird doing skits? Anyway, we were in the mission field. We were doing skits. We were um, doing a construction project because, remember, this is missions work. And then we shared the gospel. I remember in one of the construction projects, we're putting up these block walls. We're like, you know hanging out under mango trees. It's lunchtime. And the workers that we were helping were not Jesus followers. And so the missionary that was with us looks at me and says, Stuart, why don't you share the gospel of these guys? Well, first of all, I don't speak Spanish. And so I'm, I'm sharing the gospel story. At least I'm trying to like, you know, where do you start? Do I, you know, start in Genesis? Do I, you know, where, where, where's this person? I don't know this guy's name. I don't know I don't know what he knows, and I don't even know his language, but I'm using a translator. So I did my best. It was a mess, but at the end of it, it was um, probably the success of the translator making it sound way cooler. And this guy didn't come to Jesus or anything like that, but at least he had the opportunity to hear uh, the gospel. It was it was like a you know missionary trip win, and yeah, high five. It was great. Um, this was our first international experience, and um, then our trip kind of turned into the you know the vacation part where we went to to Brazil. We were we visited the Iguazu Falls, and man, if you haven't been there, it's definitely worth it. It's like Niagara Falls times ten. It's epic. It's big, 
And the only thing I remember was that was the first time Sarah and I were finally like off the missionary clock. We had like clocked out and it was like relational time. And we realized that there wasn't a lot of good relational time like built up. We just didn't have it. And so it turned into kind of an argument that turned into being really, really angry with each other. And here we are on this pontoon boat, skipping the waves in the presence of the Iguazu Falls, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. And the only thing we can think about is how pissed off we are at each other. And so it was a full, you know, the full experience. We had it all. We had, you know, ping pong, we had sharing the gospel, and then we had the, you know, relational breakdown with your spouse in the middle of the seventh wonder of the world. And so we, we ended the trip with this, this encounter with the missionaries that were there. And they pulled Sarah and me aside and they said this very crazy thing. They said, you guys have what it takes to be missionaries. And when he said that, I could feel the fear. I could feel all the nights as a little kid praying, Jesus, I'll do anything, but just don't make me be a missionary. I could feel all of it welling up inside me. And then the missionary said, but, and then I listened and he said, don't go unless God calls you. And all of a sudden a wave of relief. Oh, good. God didn't call me. And so that's where our story is going to end for today. And in episode three, we're going to pick up the story of how God called us out, what God did next. But I want to just close this episode with the thought of at the end of each of these episodes, we talk about we all have a part to play in God's plan for redemption. We do. And we ask two very important questions. What is the Lord saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Part of that being a cultural norm for us. And that leaks out in our story. While Sarah and I feared a ton, while we were faced with lots of adversity, the most important thing was we knew whose we were. We knew that we were sons and daughters of the King. We knew that we wanted to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And we knew that when he invited us into something, that it was going to be okay, even though it felt really, really scary. And so I just want to encourage you with that part of our story. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining in today, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment if you enjoyed this episode. You can check out our ministry at heritagecoffeehouse.org. And remember, we all play a vital role in God's plan for redemption. So what's the Father saying to you, and what are you going to do about it?